Me and Ruth, you might have guessed, lead this church. You are so welcome here this morning. It is great to see you. Um, it, do you know what? Starting Alpha this week was just so special. It was such a good night. I hope the people that came along, and I'm pretty sure that everyone I've spoken to did enjoy it. Some great questions just from the off. Just amazing to hear like some, some of the questions that people were asking. So um, it's fantastic. But would you continue to pray for us as we meet on a Monday night, um, especially tomorrow night? Would you pray that we would be able to get the house tidy before people come? Because between bedtime of the kids and people arriving is not a very long time. So, so we are carrying on this morning on a series called The Church Jesus Wants to Build by the wonder of technology. And that, ha- that is a really colorful slide. Just have to imagine, you can project all the colors onto that. There's greens, there's blues, reds, yellows, everything. Um, and this morning, I've given this morning's um, talk the title, Being an Invitational Church. How are we an invitational church? And what is the power of invitation? Um, and I want to encourage us all that because Jesus has invited us into his life, we can open up our lives and invite people into that adventure that God's taking us on. So if you've got a Bible with you this morning, um, why don't you turn to Luke chapter 5? Or if you've got an app you want to scroll through, that's absolutely fine. Just stay off Facebook and Insta. Luke chapter 5, and we're going to kick it off in verse um, 27. So it says this. After this, so something has already happened, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Verse 28, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 31, Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's a great story. I love this story. Um, But to put it a little bit into context, and I elaborated, and then I took out this section of my talk because I went into fishing too much, and I realized that that's going to lose most of the room. Um, But Jesus had just said to the disciples after a tired night of fishing in their boats and when they hadn't caught anything. And then he says, basically, take your boat back out um, and they catch a load of fish. And I'm just going to leave all the fishing stuff out. But he did the biggest thing from that story is he just says, follow me. And they see the miracle that's happened and they just drop their nets. They leave their boats. They leave their livelihoods and follow Jesus. And then the next story in the chapter before, or the, in the, earlier in the chapter, is Jesus goes on to heal a man with leprosy. He just reaches out and touches him, and this man is healed. And then the next story in this kind of, this is just giving you the background, the context, is about the man who's paralyzed, whose friends um, lower him down into the meeting room where Jesus is. Now, if you can imagine in this room, um, it's really hard to imagine with this room because there's lots of wood and steel and wires and everything else. But if you can imagine a room in the Middle East with maybe like a kind of a rough mud floor and ceiling, which, which is flat, and you can imagine this guy's friend saying, do you know what, we've got to get him into this meeting with Jesus. This, there's something different about this guy. How are we going to get him in? There's no space in the door. He can't go around the back door. That's blocked by other people. Why don't we climb off onto the roof? Okay, we'll climb off the roof. What should we do now? 
let's pick the roof to pieces. It's not like a trapdoor or a sunroof or a Velux that they just lower them through. It's like, well, well, let's, well, what have we got? We didn't bring any shovels or anything. Let's literally tag away all of this bits of rock and mud and everything else. And you can imagine if you're sat in the meeting room thinking, what's going on? Like, what are the seagulls doing up there? This is crazy. Like, this is a crazy amount of noise. And then, like, bits of dust start falling onto your head. And you're like, what's going on? And then a hole opens up. But then they've got to make a hole big enough to get a person through. It's an incredible story of the guy then get lowered into the meeting. And Jesus not just saying, you're, you are healed, but your sins are forgiven. And this, when the Pharisees watching, is setting off alarm bells. Who is this? that not only can heal, but has the authority to forgive sins. Only God can do this. So this is what the crowd are thinking. And then you've got a crowd in this story as well. And now whenever you get a crowd, you get a mix of people. Some hostile, some curious, and some supporters. Well, the Pharisees had a view of what it looked like to behave if you were a man of God, if you were a rabbi. And what Jesus did broke all the rules. You shouldn't touch a man with leprosy. You'd become unclean yourself. You can't say you're going to forgive someone else's sins. Only God can do that. And why are you bothering to speak with a man who can't walk? He's a waste of your time. But Jesus doesn't think so. So the story carries on. And Jesus is about to offend the religious authorities again. So we pick it up in verse 27. Jesus saw Levi, the tax collector, in his booth. Now he would have sat there collecting taxes from people coming along the road into the region on behalf of the Roman authorities. So Levi was a Jew, hence the name, but was working for the hated Roman occupiers. So he was not only, um, he was a traitor to his own people, but no one likes paying tax really, do they? So he wasn't really that popular at all. And on top of that, he probably took a little bit for himself as well. He probably skimmed a bit of the, off the top as well. So he wasn't just hated by the Jews, he was hated by the Romans as well because he was disloyal, was cheating other people. So Jesus, if you pick it up in the story, you'll see this if you look really carefully. He reasons with him, and Jesus tells him the error of his ways, and he talks to him about how you shouldn't cheat people. He spends time convincing them that Jesus is actually the Messiah. And then he says, well, what are we going to do next? He maps out a career plan, does a cap money course for how he can manage his finances well. And he says to Levi, we're going to set up a contract um, we're going to set some days of the week. This is a set salary, um, and they settle that, and then he goes on. No, it doesn't say any of that, does it? You're like, what version of the Bible has he got? Is that the message? Like, that's not anywhere near the text. That's like, is that the Cornish version? No, it's not. I made all that up. Jesus just says, follow me. Isn't it incredible? He invites him into this life of adventure just with those words, follow me. It's not based on any assurances or guarantees, only that he would follow where Jesus leads. And like, if you want to cut out the rest of the talk, that is the invitation for us today, that, we, that Jesus is inviting us onto this adventure, and will we follow him? He's just saying that to us, each individual, would you follow me? And it may be, I'm going to skip ahead, now. I'm going to go back to my notes. So, Levi, got up, left everything, same as um, Peter and Simon and um, all the fishermen guys, yeah, left everything and followed Jesus. Could you do that? That's hard, isn't it? Could you just drop everything? If Jesus says, go, go, get up, leave everything, what's, what's holding you back? What are some of those things you go, oh, I would go, Jesus, but do you know what? I've just got this thing to sort out. 
got that. That, that that's a higher priorities. What is ex- what's the excuse? So the challenge for today is this: submit again to Jesus and invite Him into your life again. Allow Him to lead you in all areas of your life. The life we're invited to isn't a boring religious safe existence. It's a life of meaning. And it's a life of freedom from guilt and shame. And it's a life of relationship. The intimacy that we are designed to have, if you look back into the Garden of Eden and see the original creation account of the Adam and Eve in the garden walking barefoot with their creator, that sense of intimacy that is lost with sin, that's the intimacy that's restored in Jesus. And that's the relationship that is restored through the cross. It's a life of hope, deep, unshakable hope that we know how the story ends we know that he loves us we know that he trusts us and finally it's a life of peace a peace from knowing this hope a peace from knowing Jesus having this relationship so Levi got up left everything and followed Jesus you could almost finish the story there couldn't you it's like okay well Jesus has got another disciple um But what did following Jesus look like to Levi? It's a great question, isn't it? What does a follower of Jesus look like? It looks like throwing a massive party. This is the bit of the story I love. Verse 29. Then Levi, new follower and disciple of Jesus, held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. He doesn't doesn't say, do you know what, guys? I'm following Jesus now. I just need my new Christian friends to come to this party. Tax collector friends, that's my old life. No, the two don't mix. He's like, I've met Jesus. I'm going to throw a big party. You are all invited. So at the core of this story, there is an invitation to Levi. Would you come and follow me from Jesus? And then there's an invitation to Jesus. Would you come into my house and party? Because when you've met Jesus, you can't keep it to yourself. When you've discovered that someone with just those two words, follow me, has completely turned your life upside down, you can't keep that invitation to yourself. So when we accept this invitation of Jesus, we invite others to meet him too. It's a one invitation after another. That's the essence of the Great Commission, isn't it? Go and make disciples of all nations. Go and meet people, go and talk to people about this new hope and new life that you've found. And I've been mulling this imagery of, I love the imagery in the Bible of parties and feasts because we lose some of that sometimes, don't we? Like, God is a God of feasting and party. And the image I have is this table that's kind of like, maybe lots of little round tables would be more appropriate in our, in this room and by the learning center. And it's just, there's tables and tables of space and we're all gathered around, but there's so many spaces there's so many spaces for those yet to come. There's so many people that can that need to find this good news. A taste of heaven on earth. Can you imagine a, um, a feast being, being laid out, the most amu- amazing food you've ever tasted? What would you put on the table? That's what I put on the table. I was like, I don't want to offend the vegetarians and the vegans, so I didn't put a big barbecue thing on that. I thought that was very... I thought that was very sensitive of me measured measured never the word never used about me but so the feast this amazing feast is the kingdom of god the most amazing food you've ever tasted so you might put something more exciting on the table than just a standard pasty but that is a philps pasty and they are one of the best anyway i'm getting distracted by my pasties so 
It's going to be something different for you. But this, there is a time, there is a time just to sit in the feast, enjoying God's presence. That's why I sometimes imagine worship's like. It's like there's one big feast when God is in the room and you're enjoying his presence and it's special and it's intimate and his manifest glory is there. And it's like, yes, I love that. But there's also a time to start getting out and inviting people into the feast, into the party, those yet to come. It's so easy sometimes to stay at the party and just think, oh, I love this. I love this. Can we just do this every day? Maybe we're less set up. Can we just do this? But there's so many gaps at the table. If we've truly met Jesus, we can't keep it to ourselves. It's like when you go and go to the cinema and see an amazing film. And you're like, every, all of your friends know exactly what you've done at the weekend. Because you're like, guys, you've got to go to the cinema and see this film. It's incredible. Oh, my goodness, it's amazing. Special effects. I don't watch anything but Marvel films at the cinema. So because I don't get to the cinema very often. Well, sometimes Star Wars. But, um, and you get back and you be like, you've got to go and see this film. Someone, anyway, that's going to, a tangent, I'm going to keep myself. Um, or if you go to a great restaurant, you're like, oh my goodness, there's a new restaurant open in town. The food is incredible. You have to go there. Or, oh, I made this thing the other day and it was incredible. You get the point, don't you, that if you experience and encounter something you truly love, it's really hard to say, I'm just going to keep that to myself. I'm going to keep it to myself. But the church exists for the benefit of its non-members. It's for those yet to come. Those who are still lost, those who are still without hope, those suffering injustice, those rejected by society, the lonely, and those searching for meaning and worth in the wrong places. That's who it's for. That's why we try and make an effort to welcome people. That's why we try and make sure there's space in here and in kids for people to come for the first time. That's why we try to reduce and re take away distraction from other things when you come in. It carries on. Verse 30. Uh, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Religion can't cope with grace. They do two things just don't go. The message of Jesus is the forgiveness of sins. Not based on our performance or our moral living, but because of the cross. Because of Jesus taking our place, taking the punishment, experiencing that breakdown of intimacy, experiencing that separation with his father so that we could ultimately experience intimacy. That's the message of the cross, that ever our sins would be taken and left at the cross and we would go guilt and shame-free into new life. And the grace and good news that that story is is available to all of those just who recognize their need and step forward into that relationship in faith. It's available to everyone no matter what. And the good news isn't a political program or initiative. It's not a career. It's not a self-help person. It's not positive thinking. It's a person, and he's called Jesus. And we need to invite as many people into this adventure of following Jesus. Ruth was talking to our small group um, a few weeks ago about how um, we can say no for our friends. Oh, do you know what? I'd love to invite my friend to church, but I know they don't really want to come, so I'm just not going to invite them because they'll probably say no. Or um, I think they're probably too busy this time to do Alpha, so I'm just going to say no. Uh, or 
my friend's an atheist. There's no way he's going to come along. So I'm just going to say, no. oh, my friends are Muslim. Do you know what? They're probably, that's probably not appropriate for them to be invited to Alpha. But why, why do we say no for people? Why don't we just let people give their own yes? It was amazing to sit in Alpha on uh, Friday night with a Muslim and an atheist and people brought up in all sorts of different traditions and religions and know that they'd all been invited. They'd all in that room because someone had said to them, would you like to come? I'm not going to presume that you wouldn't want to come. Someone allowed them to say their own yes or no. But it's not just about inviting people, and this talk isn't just about inviting people to events that we're doing as a church, like Alpha or the Walks or different things. It's about so much more than this. So, I thought I'd put together a purpose and put out and set out a strategy for us. This is a version, you can see it's gone through some revisions. This is 3.2.4. Um, version, it's version, I've kept the versions on track. Um, I'm really happy with it. Now, some people say I'm not artistic, um, and some people say I struggle to represent my ideas in graphical form, um, but I think this is really going to help you. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if others don't adopt this strategy, this diagram of way of reaching out. You may have seen Mark Green's um, shapes of discipleship. You may see other people using triangles, generally in churches, Trinitarian triangles, to explain anything in a talk. Um, I've gone beyond that. So what I aimed to do was to make each initiative a line and then plot them all together so we could see how all the overall programs join and, and interact. And then I tried to take into account where you all lived. Now I had to guess for some of you, I don't know where you all lived. Um, and then I had to take into account your friendship networks. Are you friends with the guys at work? Do you not speak to them? Are you friends with your neighbors? Do you not speak to them? And then I take into account so some of you have got kids, so that extends your network. Some of you haven't got kids. Some of you have got dogs, so that's a huge network of people that always want to speak to you about your dog. So that's some of you have got chickens. Brenda, oh yeah, Gabby, and ducks. Factor those in, sheep, pigs. I didn't put sheep and pigs on the diagram, actually. And what I did, through the wonder of my artistic ability, is plot it all on one simple slide. The pink doesn't come through because there's no color in their projector. That's Mr. Messy. Now, obviously, you're thinking, well, that looks like just like a picture of Mr. Messy um, rather than all that stuff you've just described. The point I'm trying to make is it's about being messy with our lives. Like, it's not about like strategy, outlining, networks, and all that kind of stuff. It's none of that. It's about how we as individuals and groups need to reach out with our mess and invite people into the mess of our lives. It's about people just inviting people into our lives, of not trying to say, do you know what, I need to get everything sorted. I can't possibly let you in my house, let alone into some of the stuff I'm going through. I need to get this sorted before I can share that. And it's not just about sharing. We always think, I don't know, in Christian terms, about if you're going to share your testimony, it's about that moment you made a decision to follow Jesus. It's testimony is just what is God doing in your life? Like, where, where, how is God speaking to you at the moment? What is God challenging you on the moment? How can you share a glimpse of faith in your life? How can you share some of the peace that God's given you in your life? Or some of the hope? What does it look like for, to follow Jesus day to day? How can you share some of that? Let people share in the stories of faith and the reality of doubt and faith. Because it's not just inviting people to events, although that might form a picture of it. It's because, do you know what? 
the scary thing is and the encouraging thing is intention, these things, our lives are the only Bible or gospel that some people will ever see or read. And you are uniquely placed. Wherever you live, in the flats, university, in the halls, or in a house, with family, on your street, in a school, playground, all of these places, you, not me, are uniquely placed to share this hope of Jesus. We need to invite people into our mess, into our lives, and stop dividing our lives into spiritual and social. John says this in um, John's Gospel. I think it's John's Gospel. Yeah, John, uh, what's Jesus saying, actually? Sorry, Jesus saying it in John's Gospel, John chapter 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not by what you say or what you do, but how you love each other. And then Paul, this I think is a cracking verse for you to meditate on this week. Paul, when he's writing to the church in Corinth in the second um, letter to in the Corinthians 2, chapter 3, verse 2, it will come up, just says this about the church in Corinth. It says, you yourselves, church, are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Isn't that an incredible concept? You, Falmouth Vineyard Church, are a letter from God for this town. And you're a letter of deep love that says God loves you so much. No matter what you've heard or what you've done, God loves you so much and he's inviting you back into relationship with him. Isn't that a scary thought that we are the gospel to some people and our lives give that, give that um, good news away? So we always look to the example of Jesus. The good news about Jesus wasn't just the message he preached. It was the perfect life that he lived. It, wasn't, it was his death and resurrection from the dead. He preached a message the good news of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is near, it's at hand, but he was the good news as well. He didn't, it wasn't just his message, it, well, he, he embodied the message. He was the invitation. And the, the invitation that Jesus just gives is Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this is in contrast to the religious weight of rules and expectation that the Pharisees would have been putting on people. Jesus says, look, it's about relationship with me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. We can't hide in here waiting for people to come looking for Jesus. We are already living in neighborhoods, on streets, in houses, in flats where people are crying out for the kingdom of God to break in. Let's not shy away from letting people know the purpose and hope that we have. I love Ellie Mumford, who um, they used to lead Vineyard UK and now do um, a global role within the vineyard. So Ellie and John has this great phrase about gossiping the gospel. When almost like the stuff you gossip about, like, oh, did you see what so-and-so is wearing? Or should they wear when they're on holiday? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, it's just done an extension. That's just rubbish gossip. But imagine gossiping like hope and love and peace and truth, that kind of stuff that just flows out of us, out of our lives. I think one of the biggest issues sometimes is we feel unqualified 
or disqualified from evangelism, that big word. We need to do a, tra- a course or be trained in how to do it, the art of sharing the gospel. But to be truthful, we are all qualified to share our own story. And in fact, you are uniquely qualified. No one else can share your story in the way you can. Are we still a mess? Yes, of course. Do we still slip up? Yes, of course. But how do we communicate the hope we found in Jesus to one of our family members that hasn't met Jesus yet? Think of the language we would use. Well, how would you say that? What is your story? How did God break into your life? Or is God in the process of breaking into your life? Um, It was coming up to Christmas in our old church. And um, as you do, you stand up and talk about like carol services coming up and um, beer and carols and things like this. Um, kids Christmas parties and uh, we'd always say like there's flyers on the info desk please take one invite your mates along and you think almost don't think anything else of it but someone in our church um, asked a lady in her office to go to the carol service and the lady replied actually do you know what I used to be a Christian but I haven't been to church for years and I really want to be a Christian again so in the office this lady asked whether this lady from church would pray for her And there, in the office, the lady came back to Jesus. Now, that started with a carol service invitation. But the spark was of something so much greater and so much deeper. But it starts with just this simple invitation. There's an idea, I think it was John Wesley, had of um, preeminent grace. Almost like a grace that goes before the word of God. And he says... Actually, some people are ripe. Some people are just ready to fall off the tree. Some people are just at that point in their life where they want to make a decision about Jesus. And you are just sometimes in that right place at the right time to recognize when grace is on someone. And sometimes it's like that lady in the office. like You couldn't have made that up in some ways. It's, it's, It's God going ahead of you, preparing someone's heart, ready for that grace to break in. That wasn't in my notes. So... We welcome each other. And while we invite people in, the truth is God, it's this tension, isn't it? God is relentlessly pursuing us. It's a tension. Do we pursue God? Yes. Does he pursue us? Yes. The Bible is one long love story of a father relentlessly pursuing his children, calling them back to himself. Repent, turn away. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's done everything he can not even sparing his own son, so that we can have restored relationship with our Heavenly Father. We can have this renewed intimacy that we talked about earlier. And through that scandalous grace extended to us, we are then invited, just like all the people at the banquet with Jesus, into this new life with Jesus. So maybe you recognize that invitation from Jesus this morning. An invitation into relationship And maybe you really want to invite Jesus into your life for the first time. That would be super duper. We would love to pray for you and walk alongside you with that. We'd love to give you space to do that um, this morning. But for others, I'm guessing it might be a time of just saying, giving your yes again to following Jesus. Just saying, do you know what? Other stuff is crowded in. I want to follow you. I'm all in. I'm leaving everything, all the nets, the boats, the tax booth. It's all staying there. And I'm up for it. Why don't you stand and let's... um, Let's do some ministry. Oh, thanks, Carl.
So at the end of each talk or small group or anything we do, we kind of just try and create space to welcome God and see what he wants to do and to welcome his spirit. Sometimes people might have a prophetic word or a picture or speak in tongues and someone will come in and interpret it or it might be a time of worship. It's just nice to give, like to be allow the Holy Spirit to um, speak to us. Um, so it might sound if this is new to you, then just don't worry. It's nothing weird going to happen. But just it's just a posture of our hearts to invite God and say we're we're up for it. So I'm just going to invite Holy Spirit, Lord God, would you just come? We thank you. You're already here. We thank you for your presence during worship. We thank you. You love to meet with us, Lord. Would any of the words that have come from my heart just fall to the ground, and any words that's come from your heart just bubble up? Jesus.